we're going to jump back into John chapter 17. Now, for those of you that have been around for a little while, at least for the last year, you know that like, this is nothing new, us jumping back into John chapter 17. We've been in John for just about a year. About a year from today, we started a series in John, and we've just been trucking through and through. And we're going to finish it in about three months. At the end of November, we're going to wrap up our time in the gospel according to John. But, but this morning, we're in a, a part of the the story that as John tells it that is, it's just real sweet in some cool ways where Jesus is, is praying with and, and for himself and with and, and for his disciples and, and for us as well. So this morning, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to open to John chapter 17. And then if you're willing and able, I'd love to have you stand with me this morning for the, the reading of God's word. And, and Usually I just read the passage that we're going to talk about today, but I'm actually going to go back five verses and start at the beginning of this prayer and then read until verse 19, which is where we'll stop for today, and then we'll pick up again next week. But I want you to, to just be deliberate in your listening. Like these were, this is Jesus praying. This is the longest recorded prayer that, of, of Jesus that we find in Scripture. And, and there's an opportunity in us, and I'll try not to distract you with my own voice, but an opportunity for us in this to hear the voice of Jesus, to hear the heart of the Father for the Son, for those who follow the Son, and for those that he hopes will follow the Son. It says in verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed father the hour has come glorify your son that your son may glorify you for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him now this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. 
For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So here is Jesus at the end of of his time with his disciples. In this last evening with his disciples where he washed their feet, he broke bread with them, he, he shared truth with them, he, he shared encouragement with them. He also called out the one who would betray him. He spoke words of, of encouragement. He spoke words of, of sadness. He taught them like the importance of remaining in and with him. And then he explained to them or he kind of gave them a visual picture of what that looks like to remain in them as a vine is connected to the branch. And yet at the end of all of this stuff, at the end of this entire evening of time together, this last evening with his disciples, we see that, that Jesus prayed. Now, as Jesus was, was praying, it wasn't praying just to end the meeting. Like, you know, every good meeting, especially in church, has a prayer at the beginning and, and a prayer at the end. But Jesus wasn't praying just simply to, to end the meeting. He was praying for, for more than just simply that. He wasn't praying to impress anybody. He wasn't even teaching them how to pray in this moment. No, Jesus prayed because Jesus knew what was about to happen. He knew what was coming in the, in the hours ahead. In the days ahead, in the weeks, months, years, decades, and centuries ahead, he knew what was coming. In fact, if you just flip back like three verses before this prayer, we see what what Jesus said to them right at the end. He said, do you finally believe? But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. So Jesus prayed, and I think there are a few statements. I could make a few statements this morning. I think we could all agree about when it comes to prayer. First is that, we, is that prayer, it, it changes things. Prayer can change circumstances. Prayers can change situations. Prayers can change people. Prayers can change us. Prayer can change me, right? I think we could agree that, that there is power in prayer that we don't totally know or understand, but we can sometimes, if, if and not if we're lucky, but maybe if the Lord is, is choosing to, we can actually see the difference in the power that, that prayer can make when we utilize it. And it makes sense that, that for us as people that, that when we pray, when we choose to pray, that this is the way that, that we pray. We pray, Lord, would you change, and you can fill in the blank this morning, what, the thing that maybe you need changed in your life or the situation that you need changed in, in a friend's life or just the, the help that you see needed in, in our world today because we live in, in a world that is filled with brokenness, right? We, need, uh, we live in a world that is in need of change. There's broken people, there's broken circumstances, there's broken systems all around us and, and we could use a little bit of, of help. We could use a little bit of change. But knowing what was to come. What's interesting is that knowing what was to come, Jesus did not pray for any of it to change. He didn't pray for, for change to take place because for Jesus, prayer was not a means to an end. While he knew, I'm sure, that prayer could change and, and would change things, his prayer wasn't here, especially in this point, just to change the situation for himself 
or wasn't to change the situation for his disciples, and it wasn't to change the situations for those that, that were to come. Because prayer for Jesus, it wasn't a way to change things. It was the way that he walked with the Father. If you go back and you look at just the different places where we see Jesus praying or we see Jesus teaching people how to pray, we can get an idea of what it looks like, how it was for Jesus to pray. We see that it was relational. It was praying to the Father. We see that it's authentic and that it's raw at times, that he's being very honest and praying the harder things to his Father. We see that it's, a, it's conversational. Like there's, there's give and take. We see that Jesus both speaks out prayers, but he also listens to the voice of God. He, he asks questions or he asks for things, and he also will receive what God is giving him and the instructions that God has for him. Like there's this interaction between Jesus and the Father, and this was the way that Jesus walked with the Father. And it's actually the way that Jesus invites us to, to walk with the Father as well. Uh, you know, over the last three months, as I was on sabbatical, I had just had um, the margin and the opportunity to approach prayer not in a way to get anything from God or to get anything changed from God, but simply to get near to God, to get with God in in prayer, the, the ancient Celtic Christians, they used to talk about this, what they would call a, a thin space, right? It's the idea that there's maybe this veil or there's this distance, this gap between us and, and God. And yet there are these times or, or spaces or, or places or opportunities where that veil or that wall or whatever you want to call it, it's, it's narrowed and, and it's thin and our nearness to God feels different like we feel like we are more near to God than we were yesterday and, or in this space or in this opportunity and and to be honest I had just some sweet opportunities to do that over the last three months and, and found a few for me what became a few thin spaces like there's a, a place in Arizona that has become a, a thin space for, for me when I when I go there and when I'm intentional to spend time with the Lord I sense that that he is near to me and it doesn't mean that anything weird or strange happens it's just like man this is this is a good place to be. Mount Angel, the abbey out there where I visited this summer has become a, a space like that for me. Even just going on retreat, like getting away from the, the everyday has become a, a space like that where I just feel like that the thinness is, has increased and, and the Lord is, is more near and it's not anything that I'm doing and, and I don't even know if it, it really makes a difference where I'm at, but it's just that deliberateness of pressing in and I know that we talked about all the announcements already, and I, we probably bored you to death with all of that, but, but tomorrow night, we'll, we'll gather, and I think the address is up on the screen behind me, and out on Edie Road at, at a house that the church owns, and we'll gather to pray. And it's, and it's, intendedly, it's intended and specifically created to be a space that feels safe, where we can draw near to God, where we can pray with one another and, and even listen for the voice of God and, and learn to pray together. And so if that is something that actually interests you, all the information is up there. You can find it on our newsletter and website. But I would encourage you in the days ahead to follow the example of Jesus and allow the way of prayer to be one of the ways that you walk with him towards and, and with the Father and, and with the Holy Spirit. Now we see that in this passage, we see it, it's very clear, Jesus, he prayed. And we know that, that uh, he was praying to the Father. 
But the question is, like, who was he praying for? Well, last week we talked about this. Ed shared that he was, first he prayed for himself. And you can go back and, and look at that passage. And, and if you want to go back and, and listen to the sermon from last Sunday. This week, as we talk about it this morning, we see that he prayed for his disciples. And then next week we'll see that he was actually praying for all those who would follow him beyond them. Including those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus. And, and let me encourage you, and I maybe don't say this very often, but let me encourage you to, to come and, and be a part of that service next week. We're going to talk about some significant things in the, li- in the life of following Jesus together next week that I think will be important for, for us as a church. So we see that, that Jesus was who he was praying for, and, and we kind of have an idea of, of kind of the the outline of this prayer. It starts in verse 6 and goes through verse 19, but he prayed, basically prays who he's praying for, and then we see what he is praying for, and then at the end we see why he is praying these things. So let's talk about each one of those things this morning. The first is, who was Jesus praying for? And again, we see that he was praying for his disciples. Now these were those who had decided, had made a decision to accept the invitation to come and to follow Jesus. Now certainly that meant the, the 12 people that were in the room that night, but it was not limited only to them. There were many other men and, and women outside of that room or in their homes or wherever they may have found themselves who had also accepted that invitation to follow Jesus and, and Jesus was praying for them as well. These were the ones who had accepted the words of Jesus as we read this morning. These were the ones that knew that he had come from the Father. These were the ones that believed that the Father had sent him. And these were the ones that Jesus was revealing the Father to. They knew and believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God. So this is who he was praying for. And if we want to get an idea of what he was praying for, we see that mostly in in, uh, verse 11, but then later down towards verse probably 17, we see that what Jesus was praying for. And really, it comes down to two things. Jesus was praying for protection. He prayed that that the Father would protect them. And he asked that the Father would sanctify them. So let's consider those two things. The first was to protect them. Now when we hear that, when we say, hear someone say to protect them, I think our first thought is, is maybe like an offensive lineman who is protecting the quarterback. He's making sure that no one gets through and no one touches or sacks or hits or gets in the way of the quarterback. Or maybe we think of helicopter parents who are just kind of always over their kids making sure they don't trip or fall or or fail a test and they're just making sure that their kids are are always okay and nothing ever happens to them or maybe if you've seen the the light year movie which I'm not I don't recommend yay or nay but it is what it is but but there's a scene in it where like they're supposed to go out on this mission they're supposed to continue the mission and yet what they decide to do is just build a laser shield over the entire compound so that nothing could get in and nothing could get out nothing could touch them or or harm them or hurt them but that i don't believe is what jesus was praying when he was praying father protect them he wasn't saying father don't let anything touch them don't let any fear creep into them don't let anything any trial or sorrow be near them, I think what Jesus was praying for was much more like what, what we asked our neighbor to do this summer when we went on vacation. Hey, would you, would you watch our goldfish? There's four of them. I know that might be a lot, but would you mind just feeding them, sustaining them, keeping an, keeping an eye on them? 
I realize that the life of a goldfish is, is dangerous, that there could be many trials or sorrows or snares, right, in, in the life of a goldfish. In fact, we lost one. <laughs> we got an email from the, our neighbor, and they're like, how many fish did you send us? Four. Uh, there's only three. There is one really big goldfish in this tank. I don't know if goldfish eat each other, but that's, our, that's what we think happened. But Jesus was praying more like that. Because what Jesus prayed, it says, protect them in the name or with the power of the name that you have given me. Now, what is that, what is that name? What is th that name that Jesus, that the Father has given him? It, well, we see it throughout John's gospel. It is the name of, of the Father that we see in, in Exodus when he says, like, I am. And we see it throughout John's gospel where Jesus says, I am the gate I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the bread. I am the light of the world. Like this, these were the ways that Jesus sustained and cared for his disciples and protected them while he was on earth by being the I am to and for them. And here in this moment, Jesus is simply saying, hey, Father, while I'm away, would you continue to protect them in the power of your name? Would you continue to be the good shepherd to them, the light of the world for them, the true vine, the resurrection, and the life so that they will be sustained? It doesn't mean they won't be harmed or, or hurt, but, but would you protect them in this way? And then he says, and then he prays, Father, sanctify them. Now, when we hear that word sanctified, it sounds very churchy, and it oftentimes is translated holy. If you read, like, the New Living Translation, it says, Father, like, or, uh, make them holy, which when we hear that, we're like, oh, like, make them perfect, right? Make them morally good. Make sure that they aren't making mistakes, that they're, that they're living right, that they are, that they are holy. But really, that idea of, of sanctifying or being sanctified or sanctification, it's, it's this set-apartness. It's being consecrated for a specific reason, for a specific purpose, for a specific mission. And Jesus prayed, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now here again, our, our instinct is to say, okay, so he's talking about the word, right? Like sanctify them by the Bible, by the word is truth. And yet in this moment, like they, they certainly had the Old Testament scriptures, but but the word that the Father had given the Son wasn't just simply the Old Testament scriptures. It was like the, the Father would tell the Son, like, this is what you are to do. Like, I am sending you into the world to be the light of the world, to be the good shepherd. And, and what the word was for the disciples was that word from the Father to the Son and then passed on to the disciples. It's, it's the, a similar message that the, God, that the Father was giving to the Son and he would pass on to his disciples. As I was sent into the world, so am I sending you into the world. Which leads us to the, the why. The why of, of all of this prayer. We see that, that Jesus prayed. We saw who he prayed for. We saw what he was praying about, like what he was asking the Father for. But the question is, why was he asking for them to be protected? Why was he asking for the Father to keep them and to, and to set them apart? 
Well, Jesus tells us in the prayer, it's because Jesus was going to leave. He was going to remain in the world no longer. And yet, the disciples would remain. They would stay. They would not leave the world. They would be thrust into it. They would be sent into it. Like Jesus, they didn't belong to the world. Like Jesus, they are not of the world. And like Jesus, they would be hated by the world. And yet in this moment, just as the Father had sent the Son into the world, Jesus was preparing to send them into the world. And so what does Jesus mean when he says the world? Like when I say that, if I say Jesus is sending them out into the world, that probably some variation or idea of what the word world means pops into all of our heads. We all have maybe a different take or understanding, but let's understand maybe where, where they were coming from when they heard this or when they used this word. The word comes out of the Greek world, it's cosmos. You can see it up on the screen behind me. And, and this word cosmos, just like many of our words, it had different ways that it could be used and, and understood. It could simply mean like the earth or a world system. It could mean the whole universe or it could mean humanity, all of humankind. In some contexts, the word is simply the place where people live. In other contexts, especially in John, the world is a system opposed to God. Now here's how a few others would, would describe the world. A few others that maybe you've authors or theologians or people you've heard, pastors you've heard before. The first is the next one where Dallas Willard says, the world is our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan and thus opposed to God. And the next one, John Mark Homer says that the world is a system of ideas, value, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. And then Eugene Peterson says that the world is the society of proud and arrogant humankind that defies and tries to eliminate God's rule and presence in history. And then the last one is by Barry Jones in his book Dwell. He says, it's the corrupt and corrupting ways in which broken creation and rebellious humanity stand in opposition to God and his purposes. Sounds uplifting, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds a little dark. It sounds oppositional. It sounds hard. But it actually sounds familiar. If you've read through the Old Testament, um, you know that, that Israel spent a lot of time like trying to follow the Lord. And yet, like most of us, they just kept messing it up. Like, disobeying, putting other gods before God. And, and eventually God kind of just said, okay, I'm, I'm going to kind of remove myself from the situation and we'll just, in a sense, see what happens. And, and they get taken, right, by, by the Babylonians into, into Babylon, right? And this is very similar to, I think, in some ways, like there's just some crossover in, in how that looked for them and, and how, maybe how that looks for us at times and certainly for how it looked for the disciples in this moment. David Kinnaman in, in his book, Faith for Exiles, which if you like book recommendations and you're a parent, especially if you're a parent of kids under the age of six, because, or sorry, the, uh, under sixth grade, this is a great book. It's not like, 
<laughs> it's not like a parenting book, but man, it'll help you to see how you can prepare your kids to be resilient disciples and followers of Jesus. But here's what he says about Babylon. He says, ancient Babylon was the pagan but spiritual, hyper-stimulated, multicultural, imperial crossroads that became the unwilling home of Judean exiles, Israel. The Babylon of the Bible is characterized as a culture set against the purposes of God, a human society that glories in pride, power, prestige, and pleasure. It sounds kind of familiar. I, at least it does to me. And see, and while Jesus' disciples were um, not of this world, they, were not, they did not belong to this world, just as Jesus did not belong to it. This is where they were being sent. This is where Jesus would be pointing them to. He's going to say these exact same words in, in John chapter 20. And we'll get a chance to talk about this all over again. That Jesus will say, as the Father sent me into the world, so am I sending you into the world. And what we'll see next week is that he'll say some of those same words to us, that we will be sent out into the world to live in, in some ways, as Peter describes in First and Second Peter, that we'll live as, as exiles in, in the land, following Jesus in, in maybe a world that it doesn't always feel like we belong to or that we are a part of. And so the question, really, if that's the case, if we are if this is a place where we don't belong or we are not of, and yet Jesus sends, it, sends us into it, so what's, what's our response? How do we live as exiles in a world that's where we don't belong or where we're not our own? Well, I think, I think there are like four options. There's probably more than four, but I, I, there's, I'm going to talk about four today. The first option would be just simply to, to hide right, to, to hunker down, to, to isolate and, and separate ourselves and to just stay away from anything that maybe feels like it's not following Jesus, if it's not holy, if it's, it's just waiting this thing out, isolated, separated, completely apart until either Jesus comes back or I go home I'm just going to put my head down and keep to myself. Another option would be not just to hide, but maybe to, to fight. Wishing, right, for the, the, the way things were. Wishing for the, the good old days. Like, like knowing I, I have a right to, to this and I'm going to fight for, that sounds weird, for the right. <laughs> Don't fill in the blank. But. but we would fight for those things that we might reclaim the ground that was lost in our host culture, in this culture and world that we find ourselves in. So we, maybe we hide, maybe we fight, maybe we assimilate. We try to fit in or we try to be relevant or probably for most of us, it's we just try to be liked. We just all want to be liked at some level. And yet in doing so and trying to fit in and trying to be relevant and trying to be liked, we are no longer, eventually, we no longer are distinguishable from the world around us. We just simply have assimilated into it and have become a part of it. 
Now, if we're honest, I think we could all probably say, man, I, there was one or maybe two of those that, that I, I succumb to. I, I hide or I fight or I assimilate. But I think like, these three, while they may have their time and, and place, I don't think that these were the options Jesus was thinking of when he prayed to the Father, protect them and sanctify them. I want you to listen to how God in, instructed Israel to navigate this, this, type of, this type of tension. It's the same tension that they felt in, in Babylon. And God spoke to them through the prophet Jeremiah. And we read it in Jeremiah 29, 4-7 where he says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When I look at that and when I read that, I don't hear hide, I don't hear fight, and I don't hear even assimilate necessarily, but I hear maybe a fourth option. I love the way that, that Barry Jones would um, kind of break this passage down when he says, on the next slide, If we have a next slide. Oh, there it is. He says, God's people would flourish in the place of their exile by actively promoting the flourishing of their neighbors and their enemies. This would require of them, on the one hand, to maintain their distinctive identity as the people of God, but on the other hand, it would require them to become active participants in the host culture. Now that is a tension that most of us would struggle with, right? Can we pop that back up there for a second? Sorry. Thanks, Heather. You're doing awesome. That, that tension, on the one hand, maintaining distinct identity as the people of God, but on the other hand, requiring them to become active participants in the host culture. Like, that's a tension that we would struggle with, that we would wrestle with, that would be, I think, I believe that is challenging to us. And yet we see in Jesus that this, it wasn't so much, which leads us to the, the fourth option, which is to, is to follow Jesus. Can I, I feel like I've read a lot to you today, but can I just read one more quote to you? I think this really just sums it all up. It's out of this book, Dwell. I mentioned it last week by Barry Jones. And in reference to all of this, he says, what we need is not a balance between the two. What we need is to learn that a spirituality deeply informed by the logic of the incarnation embraces the tension. It means that if we understand that Jesus came in the flesh and lived in between these two sides and did it in love like, and through his own flesh, like that he, we need to embrace that tension, to live within it and to recognize that our attempts to resolve it in either direction, to pick one side or the other, can be a compromise of faithfulness. It is the incarnate one himself, that is Jesus, who models what it looks like to live in that tension. 
He models it through his life. But get this. He models it profoundly in the cross. He quotes Leslie Newbegin here and he says, where Newbegin says, the cross is in one sense an act of total identification with the world, but in another sense is an act of radical separation. It is both of these things at the same time. And Barry goes on and says, the churches being called out and being sent in are not two callings, but one in the same. We do not have spirituality and mission. We have missional spirituality. And then this, will part, this part will come up on the screen. We are called to a way of life that is against the world for the sake of the world. Last year, about this time, uh, I came up here and, and talked to you about kind of, what I, if you were here, you remember, we talked about Journey Church 2.0. We talked about the reality that, that, that after two long and hard years of isolation, it was time to begin following Jesus, to go back to following Jesus, and to go back to following Jesus together. And, and I brought this sign, and we talked about how we as Journey Church are a family, and in this family, these are the practices that we will put in place that will become the, the values that the Lord uses to, to sustain us and to also operate in and, and through us. And at the end, it says that we would follow Jesus together. And it was just this idea of, of family, and that that's how we would operate, and we'd operate in a way that it would be done together. And, and it made sense at the time, right? Like two, after, again, two challenging years of, of life in, in, in every aspect of life, but certainly in the, the life of the church where we were just separated and, and isolated, it made sense to go back to following Jesus together. But if I'm honest, I feel like something was, was missing in that. And what was missing was the mission. You see, what, we, what we've seen today and what Jesus was praying and how he was preparing his disciples is that like to just simply follow in their 12 was not gonna be, like that wasn't the goal. Like he, that's the starting point. Get them together, follow me. Let's, let's learn to follow Jesus together. But then I have a plan for you and I'm gonna send you out into the world a world that is, that is not your home, that maybe it will be opposed to you in some ways, and yet I'm sending you out to, to, as we said, to fight against it, but in a way of fighting for the sake of it. And so now, as, as we move forward into our eighth year as, as a church, and like our desire at this point is to be a, a family that follows Jesus together, but we don't stop there. We follow Jesus together for the sake of the world. And for most of us, myself included, like that's going to take some practice. Like actually living out like the following of Jesus into the world and for the sake of the world, like that doesn't come naturally to us. Hiding comes naturally. <laughs> to me it does sometimes. Fighting for some of us comes naturally. Assimilation is the easiest. Just look like everybody else. But to actually follow Jesus into the world for the sake of the world, it's going to take some practice. It's going to take some intention. It might even take some new habits. Now, this morning, we're going to wrap this up. It's our, it's our eighth birthday. So not only will we send you out in a little bit to have some shave ice, we also have a gift for you um, this morning. We brought gifts. And it's a book that's called Surprise the World. And for those of you who, who love reading, it's going to be feel kind of short. For those of you who are like, ah, another book, it's, it's super thin. It's, it's like the... <laughs> 
I mean, it's like big words. It's like no pictures, but, but here's the, the, the premise. Like, these are five habits of highly missional people. And by missional, he simply means sent. Jesus sent and sending. And so I'm going to encourage you, if, if you grab one of these, they'll be on the, a table on the way out or a table in the entryway. Grab one for, for your family. Or if you're just here on, on your own, like this morning, if you're just on your own, just grab one for yourself. But don't read it by yourself. Find some people to, to read this with, to chew on this together with. It's, it's not the answer. Like, this isn't like a, you read this book and you're done, you got it all figured out. But this is going to give you some practical next steps, even some next steps that might challenge you, that might actually stretch you a little bit as you seek to, to follow Jesus together for the sake of the world. Let me invite the worship team up, and uh, as they come up, I'll pray. Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. You sent him because of your love for the world. Lord, you sent your son, Jesus, because you loved the world so much that you did not want to see anybody who would not be, have the opportunity to spend eternity in life and in relationship with you. You wanted the entire world to know that you sent him and that you sent him because you love them. You are for them. You are ruggedly committed to them, just as you are to us, Lord. And so now we have an opportunity as, as followers of Jesus and, and family of God to carry your presence and, and your love and your grace and your truth and all of these things into the world, into the world that we find ourselves. And as we do, Jesus, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit? Would you be the light that we need. Show us the way. Open up the gates. Prepare it, Lord, and, and guide us into it. And we pray that you, in the midst of it, and we'll talk about this even more next week, but would you protect us by the power of your name and set us apart for this kind of work. In your name we pray. Amen.